The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. All ideas expressed are opinions and property of host Dr. Dory Lynn or the Center for Relationships, Sexuality, and Spirituality, LLC. It's time for Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. Your host is Dr. Dory Lynn. Age and experience are an asset, and Dr. Dory has put together experience, stories, some great guests, and connections with you front and center for a fun-filled adventure. We invite your participation as well. Now, here is Dr. Dory Lynn. Welcome back. This is Dr. Dory at Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. I'm here with my wonderful audiovisual guy, Chris, who has been invited to join us today. And today, I'm going to talk about relationships and sex, of course, and love and spirit. But I'm going to talk about the difficulties of living alone. We all have difficulties sometimes living with ourselves, and we also have difficulties very often living with someone else, married, not married, whatever. We are, in my view, meant to be together. We are creatures of community. So if you're in a relationship and you wonder where your lover went, And if you're having troubles keeping that relationship together, maybe it's time to ask some questions, get some help, and think about it. I am not readily enamored of this quick-toss, throwaway relationship society, although, in uh, honest confession, I have been married, divorced, Remarried, a single working mom. Uh, I've had a very varied life. I wish I knew when I was younger the wisdom I feel I've learned now. Age and experience really can be an asset, a wonderful asset. I know that I see the world differently. And I think my life, had I known the things I know now, would have gone differently. I can't say better or worse, but certainly I would have known more about how to keep some very wonderful relationships going that I didn't. Oh well, that's the way life is. I want to start with some very basic concepts as I believe them. We are born as young babies, basically and very, and psychologists and sex therapists and spiritual leaders differ on this. So this is my view that I believe. We are born with basically two emotions, only two. And everything else becomes secondary or tertiary. And let me tell you why I believe this. When you cuddle a young child and the child just is just a little tiny thing. All babies, if they're healthy babies, do the same thing. If they're unhappy, 
they cry. If there's a loud noise, they get startled. If you hold them and you soothe them, they feel what we call love. So they basically have love and fear, we might call it, or a startle response. Or a, These are instinctual. They're just the way we come into this world. Now, there are some people, Jung, Dr. Carl Jung, for example, now deceased, great psychologist, believes that we also have, uh, we come into the world with a spiritual need and that that need is part of a cosmic consciousness. And in the West, we might name it as God or Jesus or a rabbi might look at it as the Old Testament or in the East, it might be looked at differently. But that there is a universal need or collective unconscious interesting thoughts. You don't have to agree with me or not. But if we think as we grow that we have relationships, let's say we have met somebody, they are the one, we fall in love and we think they're going to be with us forever, we're going to be with them forever, and then we start the long haul and frequently we run into trouble. And we know that 52% of relationships, marriages, don't last. And less and less people are getting married. Uh, It's not a very pretty thing. Uh, Relationships are not very good. And one of the things you can ask is, where did you learn about love? What kind of role models do you have? A lot of us have not had very good parental or other role models that taught us how to be open and loving. When relationships go bad, frequently it has to do with one or both person's fear or insecurity. And when a person is insecure, they take it out on their partner very often, become controlling, disrespectful, thoughtless, and angers develop, resentments develop, And before you know it, they're not talking to each other. They're not sleeping together. They're not sleeping together. They're not talking together. And relationships are ready to go out the window. Well, can you turn a so-so relationship into a better one? Would you have to dump it or can you make it better? I believe that some relationships do have to be dumped particularly those that are truly abusive and hurtful. I don't like the word abusive because we use it very loosely now. And I'm not only talking about physically abusive, but there are painful relationships that are so filled with disrespect that staying in it just demeans everybody. And children, by the way, after years of doing therapy with grown-ups, children know when something is good and they know when it's not. Uh, I cannot tell you how many adults have said to me, I wish my parents would have gotten divorced. Living in that household was hell. They thought I didn't know what was going on, but I did. So many families that stay together for the sake of the children, maybe it's useful and maybe it's not. But if you're going to stay together and you have a family, 
And that's one of the bonds you do have. You might as well learn how to stay together well and lovingly and not with the kind of dissonance that I have been listening listening to for weeks and weeks. And I do listen and work with couples who are in trouble. If, As I said last week, if they weren't in trouble, they wouldn't be with me. And uh, sometimes they're not in awful trouble. Sometimes things are just not working well. Or maybe somebody has gotten sick and they can't find a diagnosis. And then we start to look at maybe there's an emotional reason and the body is shouting. I think of one couple that I've worked with where uh, the guy has tons of allergies, tons. He's almost a bubble boy. You know, he can't even go out of the house. And they can't find a diagnosis. They really can't find what's wrong with him except to give him cures and give him more and more inhalers and pills. And I suggested, and there was an article recently that corroborated this, that maybe his emotions were coming out where he literally couldn't breathe and he was getting the equivalent of asthma attacks. So we started to work on the things that were unspoken and that were fearful. And if you think about it, if you withhold things that you shouldn't be withholding or that are harmful, I don't like the word shouldn't, it it stops your breathing. Your lungs aren't able to expand and Theoretically, you can get sick. So I've been thinking a lot about how to help the couples I see and the couples who I don't see and are in trouble. And those who say, oh, no, where did my lover go? I do want to say one thing. And we often laugh about the fact that we have different styles and that women talk more than men. And that's a very, um, we tease about it. But there's actually a, a protein that helps women talk more. And they really, on the whole, do talk more than men. Not everybody. It's a generality. And in studies, by the way, rats are the ones who howl more if male rats are the ones that howl more than female rats. So make of that what you will. But it is kind of a given that women supposedly have about 20,000 words, 22,000 words. Men have about 13,000. So maybe if your guy isn't paying attention to you, maybe you need a little bit of silence. Maybe he's on overload. And maybe a guy can say, honey, I can't keep up with you. Please slow down. Those are the little tricks that people don't know how to do. Nobody teaches love relationships. We read about love styles. We need lead. We read about love language. We read about, uh, we try and simplify it. But it isn't quite so simple. Human beings are very complex and they need to know a lot about themselves and about their partner. And without communication, it's very, very difficult. I personally dislike the term communicate. The truth is we always communicate. 
We scream, some of us. We put each other down. We bark. We whine. We're miserable. That's a form of communication. It's how do we communicate? Is it lovingly? Is it positively? Is it with respect? Is it with um, kindness? Is it with uh, quality? We always communicate. It's how do we communicate that makes a difference. And if you're always putting yourself down and in turn putting your partner down or putting your partner down because you are putting yourself down internally, unconsciously, something isn't going to go very well. So I want to talk a little bit about some couples I've seen, some letters that have come in and questions, and about how if your lover has disappeared, how can you go past, oh no, where did he or she go, or your husband or wife, and make your relationship a baseline again? If your relationship is always picture perfect, and sex is perfect, and everything else is stellar, skip this program. You don't need it. For the rest of us, let's get real. No matter how much we may love our partners, sometimes the road can be bumpy. And sometimes in a long-term relationship under stress, sex can kind of disappear for a while. It can be very boring. And even our partner can seem pretty boring and we forget what did we see in him or her in, in the beginning. Maybe there was a time you couldn't keep your hands off each other. But over the years, maybe that ship has sailed. It's just gone. Is it possible to get the relationship back? And since I'm interested in sex over 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, is it possible to get great sex again, although it may be different than it was when you were younger, and make it last? Is it possible to embrace each other and yourself and the relationship? It takes work. Nothing happens automatically. Some people can make it, because of their orientation, can make it happen a little bit more easily if they have the same belief system, such as going to church, believing in the same God, uh, believing in even the same political party sometimes. If they have the same belief system, they can sometimes follow the same path. But most of us nowadays are very complex and beliefs are very different. So your, your communication style your love style, even your sex style, how you are your best friend and how you can have intimacy. Take some work. I think that's a pretty good bargain if you can make it happen. I do want to tell you, a um, read to you a letter that I received. It's from someone called Rosario who says, uh, She's 51. And the question is, my husband and I started out so much in love, we couldn't get enough of each other. 
even after 22 years of marriage, we still like spending time together and make love about once a week. I thought when the kids were gone, I'd start enjoying sex more. But to be honest, it's gotten so boring in bed, I can't wait to just get it over with. I even make excuses to get out of it. I feel pretty crummy for not liking sex more and really not liking my husband more than I do. But what can I do? I don't want to tell my husband, and he would be crushed. Well, I I like this letter because, number one, if you're bored in bed, you're bored. That's a fact. It's not a measure of your self-worth. Boring sex happens in many long-term relationships. You know, in the beginning, usually, for most people, hormones give us lust, romantic love, and keep sex exciting. But over time, as we are busy, living our complicated lives, our bodies change, we change, passion sometimes slips away. By the time that we realize our connection with our maybe best buddy is disappearing, very few people know how to get it back. Whichever, that early, whirly, in love sensation usually gets replaced with a complex of mix of friendship, annoyance, yes, annoyance is often in there, commitment, disappointment, tenderness, resentment, deep, deep bonding if you really are going to stick this through together, and sometimes just plain boredom. Most people, not everyone, but most people have boredom just by themselves. Why wouldn't you sometimes get bored in the relationship? Unless you're someone who likes to eat string beans every night. Most people, if they have to eat string beans every night, or even steak, are not very happy. People like the comfort of routine. They also like variety. So very often in a relationship, especially if you are drawn to somebody who's different than you, let's say someone who is very outgoing because you're shy and you balance each other, a yin and yang, or you're shy uh, or they're shy and you're very outgoing. This is a wonderful balance in the beginning and you adore each other because you do balance each other. But after a while, it can become annoying and you say to yourself, oh my Lord, Why is he or she so hyperactive? Why can't she make up her mind? Why is he so busy all the time? And before you know it, the very things that brought you together are problematic and you didn't even realize it. Or maybe you have kids and nobody prepared you for how kids can change your life. And they can. Chris is a new dad, am I right? Mm-hmm. Chris, I called you Chris, Chip. That's okay. If I do, you know, it's Chip. I do know you. Sure. You're a new dad. Has it changed your life? Uh, in innumerable ways, yeah. You want to talk about it a little bit? Well, it's interesting. One of the things I didn't expect about having a kid was, you know, you're each individually your own person, but you're part of a marriage, but and you're adding this new part of your identity that you're a parent, but... If you aren't good about spending time together, you have to become much more intentional about it. Um, 
And there are a lot of things that in our relationship, you know, I don't think I realized we weren't working on until she got here. So, yeah. Your daughter. Our daughter, yeah, Salem. Yeah. So. So, so it's made a big change. The yeah, other right. thing I bet, I'm, I'm guessing, we've never discussed it, uh, is that you didn't know how exhausting the whole process was and how expensive. Expense is like one of the big ones. And obviously that adds stress, but. I'm fortunate. Uh, my wife Meg is very, very patient about that sort of thing. But the uh, yeah, I'd say the biggest thing too is how how much time you can't spend together right during you know right before and right after you have a baby, and expect how long we have to be somebody else for a while. You know, learning how to be parents. I remember with my uh, my youngest, who was not an easy child from birth. I love her dearly. She's wonderful. But some are more colicky than others. What I remember about the first nine months, you know, somewhere in there, I remember the first words and mama, papa, and the first steps, which happened after nine months. But what I really remember, because she was my youngest and I was older, was how exhausted I was for nine months. There was nothing left of me at the end of the day, not for my husband, not for for anyone because and then I'd be up three hours later feeding changing diapers and in those days we didn't have pampers we had real stinky diapers and I just remember uh, diapers feeding even with a diaper service and then we gave that up uh, just being tired uh, 95% of the time and no no new mom wants to be tired. You want to love your kid and you want to love the people around you. But that is really what I remember. Do you have any of that in your home? Yeah. You know, it's interesting the ways that you struggle. I think, you know, like you said, the tiredness. I, I went around almost apologizing to people for not being as tired as I felt like I should be because my wife was doing so much of the late night stuff. <laughs> um, so I felt kind of bad about it. But no, it definitely... It definitely changed things there. I think it's interesting too the things that each of us struggle with, or the insecurities that crept crept up. I think for my wife, it was, "Am I doing everything right there? Am I being enough for everybody in my life?" And for me, it was just, you know, how do I take care of my wife, who's now got a new thing that's, that's, you know, I was more looking out for her. She was looking out for the baby, kind of thing. That's kind of in her genes, I think. Maybe uh, we can come back to this because we're talking about. You're at a new stage. I'm now talking about how this has changed your life and how these stages keep on going. And if you want to stay with your partner, you have to keep changing with every stage and every phase. Let's go back to it when Mindful Matters returns. And remember, you can always call at 1-888-346-9141. You can contact me at drdare.com and... We're taking a break. We'll see you in a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Dory Lynn's latest book, Sex for Grownups, reveals the truths, lies, and must-tries for great sex after 50. Now published by Simon & Schuster, this book shows that no matter the age, sex can be a wonderful experience, but there are efforts that need to be taken. Read the book, try some of the suggestions, and live a happier life with better sex. 
Right now, for a limited time, mention Voice America and get 20% off the book when you email Dr. Dory at drdory.com. That's D-R-D-O-R-R-E-E at drdory.com. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to lead up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your host, Colleen Biggs, speaks with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show. Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit with Dr. Dory Lynn. We want to hear from you today at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to drdory at drdory.com. Now back to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. Love, sex, spirit, and mindful matters. And I love the idea of mindful matters because being mindful about what you do and how you love does matter. Loving, believe it or not, is not easy. We, um, we hit roadmaps. We get lazy about loving. If you're looking for a good quote, write that one down. People don't think about it. We think it's just going to be there forever and we don't have to work at it. Not true. We get lazy. We forget. We forget the little things we need to do, like bring flowers or take her out or say something nice. How many people just don't say something nice? Or help him with whatever he's doing or... I'm not gender specific because in my family we both cook, but uh, just be thoughtful about your, yourself and your partner. I started to say before that routines can be comforting. They can also be boring. So I am a believer that to keep a relationship alive, thriving, striving, happy, connected, it's very important to get out of the house. We were talking before about having kids when it's not always possible when they're young, but to get out. And I am a believer in getting out midweek. A lot of people store everything up. I know you can say, I don't have a babysitter. Take the kid if you have to. Just get out of the house. 
a lot of people store up everything for their Saturday night date. Meanwhile, the more typical family is, not everyone, of course, and I'm smiling as I say this, is the partners haven't seen each other all week except to grunt. They see each other in their bathrobes and their pajamas, which is far from being sexy. They've given at the office or they've given at home. What they give at home to each other are the leftovers. And a way to balance that is to get out of the house and just be with each other and not talk about the mortgage and the in-laws and the problems Billy is having at school and all the others. Talk about yourselves. And I don't believe that saving everything up for Saturday night is sufficient because most people in America are very time-pressed and sleep-depressed. And they leave all their chores for Saturday. Well, by the time they're finished with their chores on Saturday, one more time they don't have much left to give each other. So I, um, I urge people to get out, and it's not a question of money. Take a picnic. Uh, go to a friend and ask if you can leave the baby and then, or your children, and then do that in return. Just get dressed up. Remember why you fell in love with each other in the first place. Get out of your bathrobe and your pajamas, and you say, wow, he's a sexy dude or she's a beautiful woman, and where have I been the last couple of days? It's very, very important. That's date night, in my view. Midweek, uh, when I was a young mom, and even during the time I was single, the way I would force myself to get out, both times actually, is I would get theater tickets for Wednesday night. I lived in a big city, and there were lots, lots of theater. And Wednesday late afternoon would come around, and I didn't want to go out, ever. I was tired. I was cranky. I didn't want to go out. But I had these tickets. So we would go out, my husband and myself. And then when I was single, I always had two tickets. So I was forced actually to call somebody and invariably I had a wonderful time they're like little rewards to help you get out of the rut that you're in what what happens during a relationship that wears at it besides boredom besides routines besides children besides job stress besides bad behavior and I'm not necessarily talking about affairs, we have addressed that previously, but just nasty talking to one another and screaming and uh, being unkind. Kindness counts. What really does happen? You have a whole list of issues. Maybe they're damaged dreams. Somehow you expected this other person to fulfill everything and they were going to be your illusionary goddess or God, and they can't fulfill that role. They just can't. Nobody can. And uh, you get grumpy, angry. Sometimes you get angry at them when it's really your internal tape, your history, your storyline, your expectation that needs to be looked at. Maybe they haven't let you down, 
but your expectation has been unreal. What's another issue? I've gone over this over and over again, poor communication. Anyone that says communicate doesn't mean it. It's how do you communicate? What else makes couples really miserable? Emotional, physical, sexual neglect, or abuse. We use abuse now very freely. Uh, Sometimes it's just really bad behavior that is hurtful. And someone says, well, you've abused me. Actually, you haven't abused them. You've been thoughtless and hurtful. And when somebody feels hurt, they either withdraw, fight or flight, or hit back. And uh, if you don't discuss this, or you don't know why these things are happening, this perpetuates and goes on and on and on. And uh, there you are in a long-term cycle. Infidelity and broken trust that has not been addressed or worked through is another major issue. I addressed that last week in a different context. The An affair itself, forget what the Bible may say, forget what religions may say, an affair in itself is not necessarily a reason to disrupt a long-term relationship or a marriage. Frequently, it is the symptom or the symbol for something that hasn't been addressed. And if you can address it, generally with good help, good therapist, good sex therapist, a good counselor, a good religious person, not a good friend, because they're very hard to believe that they're not taking sides one way or another generally, but someone knowledgeable and not involved, very often you can clean up the mess and make your life and marriage bed or relationship bed better than it was before. If you're going to anger, argue, bicker, and you have more resentment than fun and joy, what good does that do you? I've seen so many couples who start out well And then one person or another, it's not always both, starts to feel badly about themselves. Maybe they've had a job change or a demotion or something that has hurt them. They don't know how to deal with it unconsciously. And they uh, retaliate and they start to, we use the fancy word, project. And they start to blame, blame, blame their partner. Well, their partner feels lower than a worm, and what are they going to do? Their self-esteem is shot. They either take it or they hit back. And either way doesn't work very well. What does work is, again, if you have to go for help, is not to play the blame game, but to learn how to start with an I sentence and talk about what you feel. Very often, one person may hurt another person and not know it, not do it on purpose. They just don't know it. They don't know that that particular trigger point is painful for their partner. And uh, if you don't talk about it, you never know. In my relationship, we often laugh. I am faster. I have my New York DNA, my New York genes, and I just can whiz through things 
And you can kind of tell, even I can kind of tell, when I'm in a full power mode, my walk really becomes, even in the house, and I'm smiling as I say this, a New York walk. I just pound the, the, the floor and we know that I've got too many things on my mind and I'm thinking, and my partner fortunately can make me laugh and he, he has the ability to say, honey, leave New York at home, please. Leave New York elsewhere. And I have the ability to laugh and vice versa. Sometimes he can be too slow for my taste. And I have to say, sweetie, how much time do I have to wait? Just give me a boundary. Or you don't have to answer me now, but tell me you will answer. By the way, that's a very important couples tool. Very often with couples, and it happens more often with women than with men, because women can be more emotional, not always, and have more words at their disposal. They, if something's bothering them and they want to be heard, they have a problem. And a man, genetically, not always, we're talking generalities, likes to fix the problem. She doesn't want the problem fixed. She wants to be heard. She really wants to be heard. Well, he's fixing the problem. She then doesn't feel heard and has a bigger problem, which he then fixes. And then she has she doesn't feel heard. She spouts more words, maybe starts to blame him. You're not listening, which he really isn't. And he fixes the problem. And before you know it, they're in a battle. I'm actually seeing a couple right now. Of course, I won't give you their names. They're a wonderful couple. I, I adore them. Uh, I really, really value them. And I think they will turn their marriage into a very good marriage. Their dynamics, however, is they both are wonderful debaters. And she is an abstract thinker. So if there's something that has to be looked at, she's already gotten the entire world involved in her brain. She's managed to figure out all the issues, all the problems, and all the what ifs. And by the time she's finished, she is exhausted. She really is exhausted. He loves her very much, so he tries to fix it. And I don't have to tell you, it hasn't worked very well. That's why they're in my office. One of the things we've been doing, which is really wonderful, and we all laugh a lot, is I call them the debate team, because they'll start to get very intellectual and say, well, you said this, and she'll say, well, you said that, and I'll say, you know, you're both right. You both said that. Is the issue being right, or is the issue really moving ahead? You're both right. What do you want to do about that? You know, you're both right. You're looking at different perspectives of a prism. I like that image of a different prism. And uh, they're starting to get the hang of it. They're starting to listen more and acknowledge. And in a conversation, many of you know this, some of you don't, listening acknowledging that you're heard makes a person feel safe. It makes your partner feel safe. How few of us really do that on an everyday basis? And if you need time to absorb what your partner is saying, or you can't get it all, 
You don't have to. You do need, absolutely need to say, I'll be back. People need that boundary to know that, again, there's safety and security. And uh, they do much better when they, they uh, know, maybe they can't get an answer right away, but they will get it tomorrow morning and that they've been heard. And their partner has to think about what is being said. Uh, the same thing works, of course, in an opposite way. Maybe you're a slower thinker or doer, and somebody rushes in. And you may have to say, honey, male, female, doesn't matter, same sex, doesn't matter. You still have to say, honey, please slow down. I can't absorb everything the way you're going. It's simple dialogue that makes a world of difference. What are some of the other issues? We've often talked on this show, financial difficulties are actually the biggest difficulty in a relationship, more than sex and even more than communication. And not communicating about financial difficulties is uh, lethal. And very often people are together and one person is an expansive spender and the other one is a more careful spender and they have to come to some sort of terms. They actually need each other. But what they may wind up doing is fighting about it uh, rather than say, you know, that's an interesting idea. How can we meet in the middle? I don't think the way you do. It's not my nature. You don't think the way I do. How can we meet in the middle? I started the segment talking about Rosario, who was talking about how she doesn't want to tell her husband, this was a letter she wrote, how she doesn't want to tell her husband that she's bored in bed. Well, the first thing I suggested to her is she sit down and start talking to him gently and honestly and not in bed. Absolutely not in bed. You want to go to a safe space where you can start talking about how you feel and Always start with an I sentence and not blame. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know. I'm not as interested. It's not you. But I need some help. What have you noticed? I I know this is a problem between us or a challenge between us. I want to start opening the dialogue so we can begin to know where to go next. Too many people shut the door right there and they don't discuss it. What else happens in a relationship? There's periods of prolonged stress, emotional distress. Sometimes there's a lot of depression and anxiety. It's difficult for the person going through it. It's also difficult for the partner. You do have to talk about it. I hate saying have to, it's like an order, but you know, you do. If you don't address it in some way, you will have problems. For people who are not talkers, sometimes just the sense of touch and slowly developing trust to be able to address issues matters. No, nothing happens overnight. Life is not linear. A relationship is not linear. And at different times, 
one person may be the more cognizant and the more aware, and then the other person may take over at a different time. It's fluid. We human beings are fluid within ourselves. We're fluid in relationships. We're fluid with the people we love the most, all of us. What are some other serious issues in relationship? Well, a very serious relationship issue is addiction or the prolonged use of sleep medication. We are a sleepless society. In torture camps, I hate to bring up torture, one of the primary methods to get people to confess, I'm sure you've seen it on TV or movies, is sleep deprivation. And rule of thumb is if you keep somebody from sleeping for three days, and certainly for seven, they tend to exhibit what we call psychotic behavior. They lose orientation. And sleeplessness in Seattle, New York, Charleston, it doesn't matter where, Washington, D.C., sleeplessness is not healthy. It just isn't healthy. We need our sleep. We need our dreams, both actual and metaphorical. If you have addiction that you're dealing with, most probably you are not the one who can save the person who is addicted, and they probably cannot save you. You do need professional help. In my lifetime and in my practice, I have never agreed, and I say never, agreed to work with an alcoholic unless they were in AA. I felt that no matter how much I gave them, I wasn't as good as a community who also understood them. And then together, if they were willing to change, and it didn't have to be AA, but it had to be a community, they were, uh, that we could get someplace. I did not think my skills were that godlike that I could help someone who was not willing to help themselves in a more gracious and general way. And I always worked that way, and it did make a difference. Talking about addiction, I was also reading about the opium opioid addiction and this is just a sidebar a little bit but they now have traced the use of opioids to 10 major states and specific drug stores and specific doctors so our opioid addiction which is not for today uh, is really really raises a question about who's to blame is it the prescriber Is it the drugstore? Is it the area of the country where this becomes acceptable? Um, Sometimes it used to be smoking, then it became alcohol. Now it's drugs, prescription drugs frequently. Uh, Marijuana isn't even as serious as prescription drugs. Uh, And this is America's, an American issue today. Uh, And certainly impacts a couple Boredom is something we've addressed. And an unsatisfying sexual connection. And we don't always know the reasons for an unsatisfying sexual connection. Sex, like most of life, has to be work done. 
and shared and the issues have to be discussed. More and more people run away from discussing than addressing the issues. Given that none of us are perfect and that we all have our issues and that we are all constantly, each and every one of us, me too, chip too, uh, constantly growing and changing at our own rates, making it hard to live with ourselves sometimes, much less somebody else. One might think that it's a wonder that any long-term relationships survive and thrive at all, and that there are actually good, loving relationships out there. It can be very helpful for each partner to do their own personal psychological work. They don't have to do it with a psychologist. They have to be aware. It really helps. And sometimes self-help books are helpful and sometimes they're not enough. It helps us if you work alone on your issues and as a couple. Some uh, great books are out there, some podcasts, some YouTube. Follow me on YouTube when I get there, which should be about November. Chip, what do you think? Maybe October? Yeah, October and November sounds realistic. That's, we're, we're, we're moving this on to, to YouTube so that you can watch me, disagree with me, um, call in on the hour, uh, chat, and I'll get nuts with everything that comes at me, but I'll try. Um, but we are going to try and make some of what I say more viable and more alive for all of you. Uh, And then I can start selling my books like Sex for Grownups and When the Man You Love is Ill, which should be When the Partner You Love is Ill and some of the other books. But uh, it's very important to do your own work. You know, a good thing to do in a relationship is to take the pulse of the relationship. I like to say, what color is your partnership? I don't know how many of you out there remember the book, What Color Is Your Parachute?, which is a good book about how to figure out what job you should get. I like saying, what color is your partnership? Are you happy beyond your wildest dreams? Uh, Is life pretty good? Are you walking a tightrope? are you um, are you hanging in? Have you hit rock bottom? Are you uh, going through a crazy time? What is the pulse of your relationship? Are you communicating honestly? Are you loving honestly? Are you there for yourself and each other? While I'm on this, I think I have a few more minutes, so if you can still call it 1-888-346-9141. This is Dr. Dari at Mindful Matters. Uh, love, sex, spirit. Um, I was just looking at the board, which told me I have a few minutes to close, so that's where the um came from. While we're still there, let me go on to one of my favorite rants. When we're talking to each other, Twitter is not intimacy. I'm very old-fashioned about that. When I see couples sitting in a restaurant or sitting with their kids, 
uh, or a mom or a dad or partners staring at their cell phones, which we swipe, what, 200 and some hard times an average and really good swipers swipe, not 200, 2,000 times a day. And really good swipers swipe somewhere over 5,000 times a day. How can you be intimate? You, your relationship is with technology. It's not with humanity. It's not with your partner. Love is not Twitter. Twitter is not intimacy. And I don't care how many Facebook friends you tell me you have or how many Instagram photos or how many LinkedIn's connections you have. If you're not together in some way and look at each other and touch each other and know that your partner is there for you and you are there for them, uh, you need to give up that aspect of technology. Technology is wonderful. I use it all the time. It is not wonderful for intimacy. Absolutely isn't. I want to now just end with a couple of very quick ideas. As people get older, it actually is true that men on the whole lose their hearing uh, more rapidly than women. This isn't this isn't everyone, it's in generality. I don't know how many of you remember the song from Tommy, which was a Broadway show that was my era, and some of you, uh, Chip says, you know that one. Yeah, I love, I it, love it. I love it. It is fantastic. Yeah, and remember that song? Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Well, the truth is, many men cannot hear their female partner. And... You say, but you do fine in business, or you do fine here, or you do fine here. The first register to go between a man and a woman's, and if a woman man's hearing is starting to deteriorate, which happens to a majority of men, the first frequency that goes is a woman's softer uh, voice. She speaks at a different frequency. So she says you're not listening. If you're an older couple... He actually may not be listening and may not hear you. And you may have to look at physiological change and see what else has to has to go on. So what have we talked about? We've talked about how do you keep a relationship alive? How do you keep sex alive? How do you keep communication alive in a positive way? How do you build your communication toolbox? Very simple. Use I statements. Be positive. Focus on what you want. Say things like, oh, I love it when you touch my shoulder when you walk past me. Use a you compliment. Simple language makes a big difference. Reveal yourself, be yourself, and never be afraid to be loving. Love matters. Love matters as mindful matters. Love, sex, spirit. Dr. Dory here at 1-888-346-9141. Listen to me next week. Thank you for being a part of our show. Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Be sure to join Dr. Dory Lane for another exciting show next week.